Daddy didn't have no gun on him, so I can't see no fair reason for Mr. McGraw shooting him. So he takes and slung it in with a beer bottle. So it was self-defense, you see. So he was self-defense, you see. I there? can't see no fair reason for Mr. McGraw shooting my daddy. Daddy didn't have no gun on him. Well, like that all said, Bert. Daddy didn't... Get... Well, I mean, he's taking a turn to Mr. McGraw. They all said? Who all said? Who's they? Who, who's these they? Who said, huh? Huh? Well, I Daddy didn't have no gun on him. If and daddy had had a gun, it would have been different. But it ain't self-defense when a gun shoots down a man that don't have none. Why, see, here, Bert, you see. Oh, Stoney swung at Mr. McGraw with this here beer bottle, didn't he? He swung at Mr. McGraw with a beer bottle, you say? Sure he did, Bert. Well, well, I don't know what he's saying. You know, he was self-defense. He was self-defense right enough, Bert. You can't. I want to ask you something, Fred. I want to ask you something. Sure, Bert, sure. You ever seen a beer bottle fired, well? You see, Bert, What have you said? <laughs> I said, Fred, you ever seen a beer bottle fire bullet? Kill, kill. Is this a joke, Fred? No, it, it's not a joke, Fred. I guess I can answer it for you, though. Bottles don't fire bullets, you see. So... That's right, Fred. Never... So that means it was murder. Never... Well, how can he be murdered, Fred? Seems to me like it was self-defense. It was murder, Fred, on account of the fact that my daddy only had a bottle. Bottles break heads, but... They don't go through a man taking out his innards and killing him flat dead and cold like an old creek stone. Bullets do that. And Mr. McGraw done murdered my daddy. What's and Bert? Don't harry me, Willis. And so it weren't self-defense at all. It weren't self-defense because my daddy didn't have no gun on him. So I can't see no fair reason for Mr. McGraw shooting Bud, don't take it so hard. Like it's not Mr. McGraw was drunk. He was your daddy, too. Your blood and kin. You got the rat. Don't talk about that, Bud. If there was something to be done, well, I'd be for it, but there ain't. Yes, there is. There is something to be done. And I'm fixing on doing it. What? Kill Mr. McGraw. Kill me. <laughs> but, Bud, you must be crazy. And Mr. McGraw is the biggest man in the whole state of West Virginia. Why? Why don't even Senator Marches him and sell sit and drink $7 whiskey with Mr. McGraw in the Stonewall Jackson lobby every time he comes to town? Don't Daddy, every policeman in town get his hand Mr. McGraw walks by? That don't matter a bit. I'll find a way. It may take me a little time, but I'll find a way to do it. And that, you see, was all Bert Likens ate or drank or breathed or dreamed about from that night on. One night after supper, when the brothers were alone, and neither spoke in Canary an hour, Willard felt suddenly as if the impalpable violence of Virgil's obsession had secretly turned on him. Blast it! Blast it all! Why don't you get it over with? Why don't you hide along the fence by the airport in some night and shoot him in the back? He comes here all the time with that black-haired Mary from Baltimore Street. Why don't you hide along the fence? No, Willard. I want Mr. McGraw to see my face when I kill him. If I'd taken and shot him in the dark, that way he'd never know it was me that done it. And when I do it, I want Mr. McGraw to look at my face a good long while and know who it is. And I want to be sure the killing takes a slow, long time. Rush Sigathus was shaving Riley McGrath in his number one chair when Willard found him the next morning. Willard was shaking so badly he was afraid he wouldn't be able to make the speech he'd lain awake all night considering. Mr. McGrath? 
Mr. McGough? Yes, son. Thank you, Rush. Thank you. You always shave a man very well. Good, Mr. McGraw. I'm a man who likes to be shaved well, and you're a man who does that job. Thank you, Mr. McGraw. Thank you. In three weeks' time, as usual? Of course, Mr. McGraw. Naturally, sir. Of course. Yeah. What is it, son? Mr. McGraw, I, I, I sure would be glad if I, I could talk to you for a little while. Just for a little while. Oh, certainly, my boy. Come along across the street in my office. Have an appointment in half an hour with Judge Bean, but I can't give you a moment of my time. Man should never go too important to keep in touch with the people of his hometown. <laughs> That's what I always say. Yes, sir. What do you always say, boy? Huh? What do you always say? <clears throat> well, boy. It's about my brother, Verge. You see, Mr. McGaugh. I'll bet it was Stoney Likens. That matter was settled during the last term of Judge Bean's court. Your father attacked me, son. I shot him in self-defense that night. And nobody regretted the incident more than I did. It's my brother Verge. I just don't want nothing to happen to my brother Verge, Mr. McGaugh. He's all I got left now. Nothing need happen to your brother, son. Something like. <clears throat> Verge claims he's fixing to kill you, Mr. McGaugh. That's a very foolish idea for your brother to entertain. Very foolish, son. I know, sir. You must tell him to clear his mind of thoughts like that. I try. Try again, son. He's stubborn. Stubbornness can hurt the wrong person. Uh, Mr. McGraw. Your brother. You think I'm he... talking about your brother because uh, Mr. He... McGraw, because I thought... you see, he's entertaining a very foolish and dangerous idea. Dangerous for himself. You understand? Yeah, I thought, Mr. McGraw. What I thought was this: if, if maybe you was to send for him and talk to send him. for him for your brother. Verge. Sure, Mr. McGraw. If, if he was to send for him and talk to him. And... If maybe you was to maybe explain to Birch how it was that night. How it wasn't self-defense and everything. Well, it might help, Mr. McGraw. Indeed, goodness, I don't want anything to happen to Birch. Nothing will happen to your brother. Oh, oh thanks, Mr. McGraw. So McCoy. long as he behaves himself in this time. Yeah, Mr. McGraw. I understand, however, that the death of your father may have brought about certain expenses. I've thought about it often. And now I'm going to do something. You hear me? Yes, sir, Mr. McGraw. I'm going to do something. I don't feel I'm obliged to do this, but if it will spread oil on troubled waters, well. Fool trick word. Uh, the verge. Yeah, no, there's sure no other way of looking at it at all. It's a fool trick word, but it don't change nothing. There's nothing he can do about it, neither. Or you. It don't change nothing. There ain't nothing you can do about Mr. McGraw getting killed, and there's nothing he can do about it, neither. There's nothing any mortal in Tigers County or the whole state of West Virginia can do about it. Mm-hmm. 
at that, Verge. What's that? The old mitten, see. You bought me something with it? No, I, I meant a virgin. Oh, heck, open it and see, will you? Oh, what's this, Willie? It's money, what? Yeah, I can see it's money, Willard. I can see that. It looks a lot of money, too. It's five hundred dollars, but why? You know what? Huh? You're right, Willie. There is five hundred dollars here. Pretty envelope, too. It smells real good. I got that money from Mister McGrawberge. This here money? Yeah. Uh, why? I mean, why did he? He give said you... pour oil on the in the tr- troubled water. Uh, pour oil on troubled water. Pour oil on troubled water. Well, Mister McGraw said that. Mister McGraw did. Yeah. Uh, he said we must have had a lot of expenses with Daddy down like that. And... Well, he ought to know, seeing he murdered Daddy. Yeah. Ah, uh, there you go again, Verge. Well, self-defense. Everybody said so. Fred Starcher said so. Fred's a fool. Sheriff Reynolds said it was self-defense. Sheriff Reynolds is scared of losing his job. Why, everybody said so. Cal North blown a heat Cal's a liar and a horse thief. A moonwalker, Bill Stainer, Wild Laker, and, and everybody said Mr. McGraw killed Daddy himself in France because Daddy went for him with this here beer bottle. Moonwalker's a drunkard, and therefore his testimony can't be relied on. Bill Stainer's mind went years ago. He ain't reliable at all. Walt Laker hated Daddy in the old house. For $500, you got a meat virgin. I mean... You're a gutless rat. You hear me? A gutless rat. What? Uh, I... Daddy didn't have no gun, so I can't see no fair reason for Mr. McGraw shooting him. Uh, Daddy's gone, Virge. Well, what can we do now? I've already told you what, I, what I'm going to do. You know something? Huh? This makes things a sight easier. Huh? $500. It saves a lot of time and a lot of fuss. It'll bring that day that much closer. I hope you thanked Mr. McGraw, Willard. But I... I don't recollect it. I hope you did. That's certainly real nice of Mr. McGraw to do that, Willard. That night, Willard listened to Verge moving restlessly about the house. And when dawn stood suddenly white against the windows, he started from a troubled dream and saw his brother by the bed, dressed in his one single cheap mail-order suit and his good white shirt. Verge's face was as baffling as ever. Where are you going to, bud? I'm catching the morning bus to Charlestown. I'll be gone a good while, I reckon. Bye, Willard. Where? Charlestown. I'm going to school. School? You can't go to school, Verge. Why can't I? The school costs money and... Verge! You got to I'm going to school with that money from Mr. McGraw. School? Well, that's real fine, bud. Buddy can't do it too much learning. That's for certain. I'm pleased, but I really am. Yeah, well, what, what kind of school? Well, what kind of school are you going to? The kind of school where I can learn to kill Mr. McGraw. The right way. Slow. So he'll have to look at my face a good long while and know it's coming. And there'll not be any way for him to get at that big blue pistol of his. Uh, uh, when I, uh, uh, when, uh, when I... I don't know when I'll be back. Be sure and take good care of the place, will it? And that was all there was to it. Willard had crept naked and shivering to the dusty window and watched his brother's thin, unforgiving shape fade into the mist, moving as inexorably as the piston of some machine. Willard worked on alone his job at the box factory in time. Lonely months followed. He needed his brother's companionship. He moved uneasily about wanting Verge to come back and yet dreading the day when this might happen. 
He would start up in the dark, sweating. He'd crawl with panic and feel he just had to run to Riley McGrath's place and check that he was all right. And to tell him to leave town and never return because he knew his brother Bird would never forget and would do what he planned to do. To a letter. School? To learn to kill Mr. McGrath? He can't learn to kill at school. Well, what kind of school would that be now? I don't understand. I don't understand at all. Riley McGrath, of course, had never so much as laid eyes on Bird like his. Anyway, Riley McGraw had a lot of things to think about on account of the fact that he was the biggest man in the whole of Tigers County. Whole of West Virginia, come to that. He's the biggest man in the whole country, could be. Well, he might become a senator. Why not? Might even make president. Who knows? You can't go to school and learn to kill. Bird's just talking nonsense, I reckon. Naturally, McGraw forgot all about the interview of giving Willard Likens. As time went by, and six months began a year, and a year melted into 18 months, as time passed... Willard himself began to forget that the murder, Burge, and McGrath himself had ever existed. In all the twenty months that Burge was away, Willard only received one penny postcard from him, two weeks after the morning he had left. There was no message on it at all. A penny postcard from a drugstore with a picture of Kanaha County Courthouse, coloured with the cheap, naive innocence of flowers at a country funeral, and yet somehow, in itself, as obsessed and malevolent as Verge Vikings. This would be Verge's way of saying he'd arrived. Well, darn it. It's worth it, ain't it? With a free drink. It ain't every day a man gets to be a senator. Senator McGrath. <laughs> hey, you know, I remember when he worked for a newspaper. Why, I had more money than he did in them days. He ain't got more money than him now. <laughs> You were so darn clever and all. Oh, he was lucky. Oh, well, boy, now I got a senator. I'm my customer. Oh, come on now, Rush. He ain't going to be satisfied with you shaving him now. Huh? Oh, he is. He sure is. Why not? Huh? Mr. McGrath's going to for sure. Get himself a bottle of all his very own. Oh, he wouldn't do a thing like that. Three cheers for Senator McGrath. Yeah, he done told me. He said, Rush, he said, things is still going to stay the same. A man should never grow too important to keep in touch with the people of his hometown. That's that close for shaving, too. Yes, sir. Yeah, three cheers for Senator McGrath. Free housing and cheap for factory workers. And no crime on the streets. Yes, sir. Yeah, well, I knew the man when he was a little too bitten up. Oh, you know, I knew his mother. I knew his grandmother. At least way he told me about her. Are you going to charge him any more now, Rush? Of course, Riley McGrath dismissed the whole memory of Stony Likens from his mind. In fact, during those first days when he was a senator, during the time he was actually in Tigers County and not up there in Washington, during those early days, if somebody had gone up to him and said... Verge Likens' father's name, or even Verge Likens himself, Senator McGrath would not have blinked an eyelid. He wouldn't have remembered a thing. Come to that, if Stony Likens, risen fresh from a mouldering grave, had tapped McGrath on the shoulder and asked for a light, the senator would have given him one, passed on without paying any more attention. No, McGrath had never really been frightened. He was too big. But, you know, big men fall hard. Win. You, you always win, you, you conjure man. And you're strong, isn't it? He's strong, that Lord. Strong. It's all that shaving. Exercise <laughs> the arm muscles. Hey, you may be hey, right. Where's that new servant of yours? Yeah. That Lord just like it, sure enough. I'll give your new man a go. Oh, right. Why, Senator, oh, I didn't know you were in town. Well, just the usual, Rush. 
How's the weather? And the kids? Oh, they're fine, just fine. Now, you sit down, Senator. Yeah. I guess you'll be in a hurry. Oh, 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 yes, sir. I have to travel to Boston this afternoon at 3.33 p.m. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, I the world when you're right. I've never been to Boston. Yeah, I've never been to Boston. I have. Yeah, well, don't you go bragging about it. Boston ain't everything. Well, so long, Rush. So long, Senator, sir. Bye, Senator McGrath. You're, you're doing a fine job. Yeah, keep well, Bye, boy. Senator. Keep well, keep Here, well. Yeah, right. keep well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, you make yourself comfortable, real comfortable, Senator. I'll be right with you. I just want to see him. Yeah. Hey, come in. Gentlemen in the chair, Senator McGraw. I always say that myself. So the wife's real fine, huh, Rush? <laughs> and the kids are coming along good, huh? <laughs> Who are you? I'm uh, Mr. Sigapoose's new bomber, Mr. Senator. Sir. Well, there we are now. Uh, hey, Tony, I'll... Don't come a foot closer, Mr. Sigapoose. Or if you do, I'll cut Mr. McGraw clean to the neck bone. So, Rush sat down, shaking and set to his stomach, and watched them there for maybe an hour. He listened and tried to make out what it was that Virg Larkins was saying to Riley McGrath. Because that was the worst part of all. Virg taking the pains to shave Riley and then telling him who he was and talking to him all that terrible time with the cold, honed, Sheffield blade pressed taut against the fat folds of Riley's throat. Taking all the time in the world to kill a man. And all the while, talking to him in that flat, crooning whisper. Rush watched them in the mirror, like figures in some monstrous, waxworks pantomime. Riley McGrath, his head strained back in the headrest, as far as it would go, his face purple and livid by turns, and his mouth shaping idiot sounds that Rush could not hear, did not want to. Rush saw everything in the mirror. I want Mr. McGraw to see my face when I kill him. I want Mr. McGraw to look at my face a good, long while and know who it is. Rush Sigafus told the story many hundreds of times during the years that followed. And he always wound up telling it in the same way. He'd say about Verge going to a barber college down in the capital city for almost 20 months on that $500. Just to learn $500 to kill a man slow. He came back to Tigers County and took a cheap Roman hotel by the depot. Yes, sir. I never recognized him. No, sir. He came by every morning and pestered me for a job. I hired him the morning before it happened. I never knew him from Adam. That was the holy irony of it. You know something? Verge Lackins was the darnest natural-born barber I ever saw because... because when Doc Brady came down from the courthouse that morning and looked at McGraw's body, he said there wasn't so much as a mark on his throat. Not so much as a single scratch. Ain't that right, Verge? That's right, I guess. Not a single mark. Rush, you want to shave this one, or will you... Midnight is presented every Friday night at half past nine by Biotech, the new soak and pre-wash powder. <laughs>